Hi there, and welcome to the Smart Building series. And this, which is our sixth free webinar of 2017. And today we're discussing securing the internet of things in buildings. And I'm very happy to uh, welcome Ron Victor, who's CEO of ITEM. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Good, James. How are you? Very Great, nice to be you. here. Thank you. Good. No, I'm very welcome. Very welcome. So I just do a little bit of housekeeping first, and then um, I'll, I'll get Ron to introduce himself and the company. I uh, just want to say uh, a big thank you to our sponsor for this year, which is Project Haystack. Uh, they are an open source initiative looking to streamline data from the Internet of Things, and I would definitely recommend you guys going to check them out. Uh, the uh, website is project-haystack.org. Uh, also, um, very happy to uh, take some questions if you have any for myself or for, or for Ron. I actually got a few emailed to me today. So we'll go through those later. Um, format for today is we're going to go through some slides and then uh, we're going to open it up to, to the floor. So um, we definitely want to stimulate some conversation about cybersecurity and its impact on smart buildings and some of the things that Ron's going to go through. So let's get started. Uh, Ron, let, uh, just for everybody out there, let's um, maybe you can explain a few things about ITM and where, your background. Sure. Uh, my name is Ron Victor. I am the founder and CEO of IOTM. And um, first of all, a very big thank you to James for bringing me onto this panel and, of course, to all the attendees listening in. We are a network infrastructure software company <clears throat> specifically focused on industrial IoT. What the problem we solve is the deployment of secure connectivity at scale for legacy assets that need to be brought into the IoT world. So if you think about the smart building space, you know, just in North America alone, I mean in the United States alone, there are 5.6 million commercial buildings. Now, if you were to try and connect 5.6 commercial buildings to all kinds of applications residing in public-private hybrid clouds or public-private hybrid data centers, what are the deployment complexities one would go through? This would be include, you know, would you have to be send an army of people out there to configure routers, configure networks, change firewall settings, get APNs and VPNs and usernames and passwords and all of that good stuff. So there's a bunch of complexity that, that we'll talk about today. But that's the problem we solve. We solve the ability to connect vast number of buildings at scale with literally zero touch or one click. So we've simplified that problem quite a bit. We've also worked very heavily <clears throat> on the security side of that. So there's multiple elements of security that I'll touch on also, right from hardware root of trust to secure managed operating systems, to firewalls, to secure peer-to-peer -peer tunnels, data isolation, et cetera. And then lastly, the topic we will talk about is the virtualization of the edge, which means Suppose you wanted to push an application to the edge. You're collecting all this beautiful data in a building. You don't want to take all this data all the time to the cloud because if you're going to be doing that, the only people making money are the telcos, the people who are who, are, who you're going to pay your cellular bill or your or your uh, your WAN bill to. So what you want to do is you want to run all kinds of analytics at the edge, which includes encryption, compression, dedupe, deep packet inspection, machine learning, SkySpark, or uh, DG Logic, FinStack, NiFi, 
um, Tridium, Niagara, all these applications that typically have been running in the cloud, you'd want to run them at the edge. Now think about what would be the complexity in deploying that. So if you had to deploy Niagara across 5 million buildings, how would you do that? So we've enabled some cloud methodologies where with one click you can deploy all of that and simplify all of that. So yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about today, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we'll dig into the to some slides now. Um, just want to say as well, uh, this has been recorded. So if um, you guys want to listen again, then uh, we'll be up on SoundCloud. And now you can also subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if you just search for Smart Buildings, you will find us. Uh, and then, you know, you can listen to it on the podcast, on your phone or whatever. So let's get going. Uh, where am I? Here we go. So this is your first slide, Ron. So if we just go through slides now and then um, we'll take questions afterwards. Wonderful. So um, uh, let's talk about what we started, right? So the problem statement is connect 5.6 million buildings to applications that reside in public, private, and hybrid clouds. So what does one typically do when you have to do something like that? The first thing you would do is you'd call an IT guy. And this IT person, whether it's a girl or a boy, whatever it may be, would be told, all right, I will first install a firewall because I want to protect this building, my HVAC system, my building management system, et cetera. I want to protect it from outside hackers, so I'm going to install a firewall. The next step they would do is, okay, now I need to be able to create a tunnel, so I'm going to install a VPN concentrator of some sort so I can create a VPN uh, tunnel. The third thing you would do is, all right, if you are inside an enterprise firewall, which is most of corporate America and most of the corporate Western world, if you're inside, you would have to call the IT department of the enterprise and say, could you please open up a port for me or a proxy setting or some kind of change so that I can be able to tunnel out? So please make a change to your enterprise IT policy so that I can now create a tunnel and tunnel out. Then you would basically say, all right, now I need to call either an operator of some sort to create a VPN or an APN tunnel between my data source and my data sync. So the operator would say, here is your VPN tunnel, here is your username and password. You might be a little more conscious on security and say, okay, I want two-step authentication, so you'd implement that. In the middle of all of this, in case your, your BMS or your HVAC system is spitting out anything other than IP, let's say it's spitting out Modbus or it's spitting out uh, 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 CAN bus or something like that, then the issue would be uh, I have to write some kind of a protocol software adapter. And this protocol software adapter basically, um, uh, just a second. <clears throat> Um, the this protocol software adapter that you type would be manually configured at the edge. Now take this and let's say you finish deploying this on one building and now you want to deploy it across another five or 10 or 100. This complexity continues. So we've come up with a methodology where there is absolutely no command line interface, no trucks role whatsoever, no username and password, and no changes to IT firewall policies. You got to make it possible to connect all these buildings with these four fundamentals in mind. Only then will the connectivity of building automation systems, et cetera, scale completely securely for IoT applications. If that does not happen, if those four blocks in the middle don't happen, the deployment and provisioning costs are so high that the benefits of connecting all these buildings and monitoring and getting all the energy efficiency information itself will, will be subdued because you know the provisioning cost itself will be so prohibitive. So that's number one. That's the deployment complexity. 
Now let's talk about security. When we talk about security, we talk, we talk about, uh, go back, James, just to the other one. Go, keep back, stay on the other one behind. Yeah, thanks. So if you talk about security, you have to look at security in a bunch of layers. One can never look at security as a, hey, you know, I am going to first connect my buildings and I'm going to secure them later. It doesn't work like that. So when it comes to security, there are layers of security which start with hardware root of trust, which can leverage tamper-proof modules on edge gateways, which can, which can securely save your certificates and keys. So number one is, do you are you are you conscious that you want TPM tamper-proof modules and hardware root of trust, or are you okay with software root of trust? That's the first thing, right at the gateway, silicon level uh, security. The next would be a secure managed operating system on the gateway. Why does this need to be secure and managed as an operating system? Because there is no human available at the machine to click update now. Think about for a second when Microsoft sends you an update to your laptop, what do you do? There's an update and it says click here and you can update your, your machine. Well, there is no such, nobody to click a machine at you know in the millions of buildings. So how are you gonna install this update on this gateway? So you need a completely secure managed operating system which is constantly patched looking at all the threats that are possible out there. Number three, you need a, a firewall of course built in to protect all the assets outside. Number four, when it comes to of data in motion, connecting from a data source to a data sink, one has to be able to prevent against two fundamental attacks. Number one, a DDoS attack, and number two, a fraudulent employee wanting to reroute traffic. So how do you prevent against both of these things? You prevent against both of these things by making sure you're a bookended solution. We reside both at the data source and the data sink. By residing at the data source and the data sync, we can guarantee that nobody can ever reroute traffic. No DDoS attack is ever possible because there are policies on either end which say you are supposed to transmit data from here to here only, and you are supposed to receive data from here only. So basically what happens is even if there are, there are hackers that are out there trying to reroute traffic, they will never be able to reroute traffic. One also has to protect against fraudulent employees. I mean, the easiest way to hack into a system is not create a big hack. It's just bribe somebody who's behind on their childcare payments. And, and, and that's it. You'll get all the usernames, passwords you want. So now, how do you not prevent against a person of that kind also trying to reroute traffic? Lastly, what you have to note is most people hack into systems to reroute traffic. They, if you are going to carry hacked data from a particular source and transmit it back to the original destination where it was, the hacker didn't achieve anything. So, you know, these are the things to consider when it comes. Lastly, when it comes to security, one has to look at isolation. And what do we mean by isolation? If you think about your BMS today, there are systems there from Honeywell, Enlighted, Train, Johnson Controls, Allerton, multiple subsystems spitting out multiple protocols, all from different manufacturers. How do you make sure that if one subsystem is compromised, that compromise is not going to proliferate across the other? So what you want is even though you're, you're using the same infrastructure to backhaul all this traffic, the every subsystem's data stream should be completely isolated from the other subsystem's data stream. So what, what it means is, a, the HVAC data will never touch the lighting data, will never touch the access control data, will never touch the CO2 monitoring data, even though they're using the same gateway and the same infra for the backhaul. Lastly, all this OT traffic will never touch the IT traffic. Remember, people don't want to hack into HVAC systems. People want to hack into HVAC systems to be able to hop onto the enterprise IT network. 
People don't want to hack into lighting systems. People wanted to hack into lighting systems to hop onto the point of sale network. So people are using these as entry points to hop onto other networks. So what you want to do is you want to make sure the OT network is completely isolated from the IT network. So these are the fundamental essentials on the security. I've talked about deployment complexity. I've talked about security. The last thing I'm going to talk about are those three applications of cloud. So if you look at that, the Sky Foundry, Niagara, Lawnworks, all of those available over there. What one methodology says, I'm going to collect all the data from my building, and I'm going to transmit it all the time to my analytics application that's residing in a public-private hybrid cloud or a public-private hybrid data center. That's one methodology. If you choose that methodology, your WAN costs are going to be ridiculous. You're going to be sending out I'm alive packets unnecessarily, which you don't need. What you want is you want to send relevant data to the relevant entity at the relevant time. So you need a policy-based mechanism that says, if the value of the thermostat changed from 78 to 80, I need to know something's going on. Or if the rate of change of my access control was something, then I need to know. So, or my, you know, whatever you need to know for your chiller, et cetera. So those variables are what we call as quality of service where you need to be able to implement these in policies. Also, given that there's going to be very large volumes of data at the building itself, you would much rather have Sky Foundry, Niagara, Lawnworks all run at the edge and only then send relevant data to the relevant entity at the relevant time. So now if you have to deploy these applications at the edge, and these could be your own applications, your own filters that you write in Python, C++, Java, whatever language of your choice, as long as you're able to containerize and dockerize an application that you write, you should have the ability to, with one click, to deploy it across 100,000 buildings whenever you want to. And then you should be able to pull it back. So how do you create a mechanism where every time you want to install a new application or test a new application at the building, you don't have to do a truck roll. You don't have to manually configure something. You don't have to ship out a USB stick or an appliance. So that's the part of the virtualization of the edge that we've also solved. So look at deployment complexity for provisioning, complete security across all layers of the stack, and then virtualization of the edge to push third-party applications as well as your own applications. Go ahead, James. So this is what the traditional network looks like. Right? You've got all kinds of systems at the bottom. You've got a bunch of protocols in the middle, a whole bunch of backhaul options, a bunch of operators, and a bunch of clouds you want to send this data to. So if you think, go back to my initial you know, moment, you have to do this, call IT person, install firewall, VPN concentrator, write protocol software adapter to convert Modbus to something, call an operator, create APN, VPN, Create, get the username, password, two-step authentication, and now you've connected the HVAC system to the HVAC cloud. Decide, the moment you decide to take that HVAC data to an analytics application in another cloud, you repeat that process. The moment you go to another building, you repeat that process. Another, this, this just continues and continues, which is completely unscalable, and it's just unnecessary complex, and it's never going to allow us as an industry to scale. So what did we do? Go ahead, uh, next, uh, just sure. take... Uh, James, How about that? so Thank what you. we did was we abstracted this entire layer out. So what does the abstraction mean? What it means is we abstracted four layers out. The, four, the first layer is the protocol software adapter layer. We abstracted that out. What does that mean? That means any protocol software adapter is available for you in the cloud. With one click, you can deploy it at scale across a million buildings. This could be 
CAN bus to IP, Modbus to IP, BACnet over IP to something, whatever adapter you want. There is never a need to send a person out to a building to an edge gateway and say, type this, configure this, and install this protocol software. It's gone. It's completely provisioned from the cloud. There is absolute, and it's completely abstracted. Every single protocol software adapter you want is available there. We don't write those adapters. We these could be adapters that you have written or could be adapters from a, whole, a bunch of third-party suppliers that we've worked with. But the point is the deployment of that adapter at scale across a million buildings is now literally a one-click deployment. So that's the first layer we abstracted on. The second layer we abstracted out is the operator layer, which means now you don't care whether on either end there is Vodafone, BT, T-Mobile, Telstra, Etisala, Dude, all of that is gone. There's no need of an APN or VPN anymore. It's completely abstracted. You don't care anymore which operator is on either side. The third layer we abstracted out is the actual infrastructure layer, which means on either end, you could be on 3G, 4G, MPLS, T1, Wi-Fi, Ethernet, DSL, cable, whatever it may be, you don't care. We will guarantee that data from point A to point B will be securely transported irrespective of whatever infrastructure you're on. And, and the last layer we've abstracted out is the security layer, which means you could be completely wide open at either end and completely insecure with our virtual overlay network. You are guaranteed that data will be transported securely from point A to point B. So those are the abstraction layers. The protocol software adapter layer is abstracted, the security layer, the operator layer, and the infrastructure layer. All four are completely open. Now, once we control, once this entire layer is a managed layer offered as a managed service by us, now you can implement quality of service. Quality of service is what we monitor the latency on every link. Because we reside at the data source and the data sync, we can monitor this latency. So now you can create uh, algorithms that would say, if the latency on Vodafone is so high, turn on my T-Mobile modem. If the modem, if the T-Mobile modem is so, if latency is so high, turn on my AT&T modem. So you can now hop from operator to operator based on latencies within the network. You can also hop from infrastructure to infrastructure. You can say, hey, if my 4G latency is so high, turn my satellite modem on and vice versa. Typically, these quality of service requirements are in mobile environments for locomotives, et cetera, rather than building automation. But you do have the ability. The next thing to note is application layer quality of service, where you can see those five clouds on the top over there, analytics, HVAC. Now, each of those applications might say, if the pipe is shrinking, Temperature is more important to me than CO2, than, uh, than uh, uh, you know, air quality. So that is the most important factor for me. And each of those entities in a multi-tenanted environment can decide what parameter is most important for them if the pipe is shrinking. Let's say the IT overload has, has, has increased suddenly and the pipe started shrinking. If the pipe shrinks, each of those applications are now deciding if this is the value that is most important me send this first versus something else edge compute is the ability for each of those entities in the cloud to have their own virtualized edge compute platform available at the edge in complete isolation of each other so what does this mean take a single gateway completely make it the equivalent of Amazon Web Services, where each of those entities in the cloud gets his or her own compute environment and memory environment and database environment in complete isolation of the others. And in those containers, they can run and push whatever applications they want. 
encryption, compression, DDU, DPI, machine learning, edge analytics, you know, SkySpark, the ThingWorks, um, uh, uh, Root9b, Zingbox, FinStack, Niagara, DigiLogic, whatever it is that you want. So we've created, we've virtualized the edge completely so that multiple tenants, all those guys in the cloud, have, can act upon the same piece of data in real time in complete isolation of each other. There is a possibility that the HVAC data has to go to the HVAC cloud and the analytics cloud. So these are two separate applications, one from the HVAC manufacturer, the other from the analytics application. Both of these guys get their own separate containerized environments at the edge in which the HVAC data is copied into, and now they can act upon that in real time in complete isolation of each other. WAN optimization is the filtering part, which we've already spoken about, which is uh, the ability for each of those entities to, in their own isolated environment, environments, to push whatever filters they want. <clears throat> you know, let's say, send me data only if the value changes by X, send me data only if the rate of change is Y, send me data between point time A and time B. And you can imagine doing this and on the fly, right? This is not like you have to just set it one time in stone. Every day you can change that parameter. You can start running new algorithms up at scale across a million buildings. Lastly, the management, the zero touch install, we harped about enough, the fact of no truck roll, no sure. command line interface, uh, no username, password, no changes to enterprise IT firewall policies. Mm -hmm. And then last, and then of course, the patch management for the operating system. Go ahead, uh, uh, James. Sure. So here is what the network looks like. Now, the, our solution has two components to it. It's got an inode and an orchestrator. The inode is a piece of software. It resides both at the data source and the data sync. At the data sync, which is typically a public, private, or a hybrid cloud, the inode resides as a virtual machine. At the, at the edge, which is particularly typically a building, the inode resides on certified third-party hardware. Go ahead for a second, uh, uh, mm -hmm. James, to the next slide. So here is some sample hardware. We are completely hardware agnostic. You can decide to use Intel, Laner, Advantech, Dell, Eurotrek, Contron, Multitech, whichever you want. The reason for this slide is to, to inform you as to what are the parameters you're looking for when you're looking at an edge gateway. First of all, you're looking at what interfaces do you need south side. Is your HVAC coming on RS-45? Is your LED lighting on Zigbee? Is something on, on CAN bus? Is something on Modbus? Something else is on OPC, whatever physical interfaces. So what are the physical interfaces needed south side? So if you look at that Dell 5000 box, out the back over there, you'll see a whole bunch of interfaces available. So you can then decide you know, whether you want that one or you want something else. So the first criteria is the physical interface needed to interface into your building automation system or your HVAC system or your lighting system or your CO2 monitoring or your access control system. The second criteria is, are you going to run any edge compute or not? which means are you going to always continuously um, uh, 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 take data from the edge and transport it all the time to the cloud, or are you going to run algorithms at the edge where you can do filtering, compression, encryption, dedupe, DPI, Niagara, Tridium, all of those um, uh, applications. So what th that will define the CPU. Because if you're going to take data all the time and send it to the cloud, you don't need any edge compute. So you could go off with a, with a smaller CPU versus if you wanted to do edge compute, you need a larger CPU. The next thing is memory. How much memory are you going to need? This depends purely on outages. Why do I say that? Do you assume you can, you're gonna have an internet outage for an hour, a day, a week, a month? Based on that, that's the amount of data you need to store on this gateway because the internet is out. 
and then you want to store and forward. So that will define the memory component. Number four, do you need it ruggedized or non-ruggedized in which kind of environment it's in? And then lastly, as I what we started with, are you insisting on hardware root of trust and tamper-proof modules, or are you okay with software root of trust? These are the five criteria by which you decide what type of gateway you want. Go back one slide, James. Please. Sure. <clears throat> so now I'm going to explain how this whole thing works. Um, before I go there, just want to talk a little bit about the orchestrator. The orchestrator is a managed service. It runs on AWS today. Most of our customers white label that orchestrator and use it for their own use. Larger customers, very, very large Fortune, one, uh, Fortune 50 corporations that want to actually host that orchestrator in their own environment. But 90% of the world just white labels and uses it. So now let's talk about how all of this works. Let's say you want to connect two buildings, one in New York and one in London, and that have all these six systems at the bottom, and you want this data to go to those clouds at the top. So you want the HVAC data to go to the HVAC cloud, you want Fire Alarm to go to the Fire Alarm vendor, you want all the data to go to a third-party analytics application which is residing in your private data center, wherever it may be. And these two buildings are completely disparate, and there could be 50, 100, 1,000 buildings, whatever. The first thing you would do is log into the orchestrator, and you would create tenants. Tenants are those people to whom you want to send the data to. So these would be the analytics guy, the HVAC access control, the clouds in the sky. These are people who are going to receive data. Once you create them as tenants, they can log into the orchestrator under your account because they are under you, because you have authorized them to get data. Once they log into the orchestrator, they get the instructions, excuse me, they get the instructions of how to install the inode as a virtual machine in their public-private hybrid cloud or public-private hybrid data center. It could be AWS, Azure, their own private uh, rack, wherever it may be, or Predix, or Google Cloud, IBM Bluemix, we don't care. Uh, as long as you can support OpenStack or VMware, you can be able to install the inode at the edge, I mean, at the in, in the cloud. So they install that. Now, all you have to do, you have to call your hardware vendor of choice and say, drop ship to me gateways to these two buildings, one in London and one one in New York, with the inode operating system on it. We work with all the gateway manufacturers. We work with Arrow and Avnet. We are available as, as a SKU. We are the actual network operating system on those gateways. We, the, we don't run on an OS. We are the OS. So you would the SKU is basically send me a Dell box with the inode OS rather than Ubuntu or WindRiver. Send me the send me the Advantech box with the inode OS rather than you know any other OS. So we this the operating systems comes installed on it from the manufacturer when the box is drop shipped to the edge to the buildings. When the box is drop shipped, every single port on that device is under lockdown. That's the reason we are the operating system. We control every single port. It's a literally a dead brick when it reaches there. Nobody can insert a USB stick and boot it up, none of that stuff. All the certificates and keys are etched onto the tamper-proof module on that gateway. Now, moment the box reaches the building, the normal building automation technician, whoever is walking the floor there, all they have to do is plug the interface at the back into the HVAC system or the fire alarm system or the uh, CO2 monitoring system. Or if all the data is anywhere coming, anyway using BACnet over IP and coming into an Ethernet switch, you just plug it into that switch and turn the box on. Great. Once that box is turned on through absolutely any firewall or proxy on the planet, 99.9% .9 of the time, 
this box goes out using standard outbound 443, which is the same port you typically use as a guest user in any enterprise. You go into and they say, give me Wi-Fi, and you get that, the same kind of port. So whatever is standard open, that's the port it uses to go out to the orchestrator and get authenticated with a bunch of certificates and keys. Remember, the certificates and keys were etched onto the tamper-proof module when this box was shipped by the manufacturer with the OS on it. So once it's authenticated, now policies get downloaded onto this box. What are the policies? The policies are policies that you set. Which node is supposed to talk to which other node? We only talk to ourselves. That's how we protect against DDoS attacks. That's how we protect against data rerouting. So now the first policy you would say is if you want the HVAC system to connect to the HVAC cloud, you need the inode on top of the HVAC system to connect to the inode on top of the H at the HVAC vendor's cloud. If you want the access control system to talk to the access control cloud, you need the inode on top of the access control system to talk to the inode on the access control cloud. If you want both those systems to talk to a third-party analytics provider in the cloud, you need both those inodes at the edge above the HVAC and access control to talk to the inode at the analytics provider's cloud. So now what you're doing is you're configuring your network. You're saying, I want this inode to talk to this inode, et cetera, and you're managing what is connecting to what. The okay. second level of policy would be what data is coming onto what port on the south side. Fire alarm is on RS-45, HVAC is on Ethernet, environment is on Zigbee, security system is on CAN bus, access control is on Modbus, lighting is on Z-Wave. Based on those policies, only then those ports are open. Otherwise, they're shut to be able to transport that data. Now, let's say all the data was coming on Ethernet, and it all came into one Ethernet port using BACnet over IP then you would have to write another policy which would say open packet look at header and based on the header decide where the packet is supposed to go this inode at the edge the inode at the edge right at the building is completely virtualized which means based on the number of destinations in the cloud that many docker containers are created on the fly on that inode at the edge and data from each of those subsystems is copied into the respective containers so that each of those entities in the cloud through the orchestrator can now push whatever application they want into their respective container and do encryption compression dedupe dpi machine learning artificial intelligence or analytics etc okay go ahead james yeah good should we get to some questions let's go to the next slide yeah right there so this is the the animation that will explain it to you. Let's go slowly, one by one. So go back. Okay, uh, we, go back um, to one. Sure, but if we if we just go to the end, maybe then because I think we need to get some questions. They're, they're piling oh, up right it. here. So okay, if you want to okay. if you want to just um, uh, talk through this one a minute, and then and then we'll get to uh, we'll, we'll lovely. That, this, that, excellent. So this basically was an animation to show you how this thing works. So. You know, the, the box turns on, goes out to the orchestrator, gets authenticated, policies get downloaded. Once policies are downloaded, it has a built-in firewall, protects everything south of it. Now it forms a peer-to-peer -peer tunnel from the source to the sink directly with certificates and keys, no usernames and passwords. The three dotted lines are the three um, isolated uh, uh, streams. And then, of course, uh, uh, the thing works, et cetera, are the applications you're pushing from the from the cloud. Let's open it to questions, uh, James. Sure, and then you, you obviously you're saying here yeah, there's there's a case study you guys have been working on, right? Yeah, it's right, right. commercial right. real estate corporation. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I had one earlier today, and I thought because I think what generally we do get a mix of um, of people who are uh, listening to this, right? Um, and so if we took a step back and said. Um, you know what? What is it that 
that you think could be best practice? So let, let's take, let's say we're, we're, we're dealing with a, um, a building owner, right? Somebody who, uh, who, who isn't particularly technical. Um, what do you, th- what can you say to them from now? Is like, what is the best practice that they can put into place for securing the in- internet of things devices? And I know we well, the- talked a lot about the technology there, but maybe it's just also about the conceptual, the concepts of, of, um, of what they really need to be aware of. Yeah, I, and, and the first thing I would say, you know, having done this for over the past two and a half years, the first question people ask me is, why would somebody want my HVAC data? So I'm not that worried about it. Mm. And that's, that's the biggest problem right there, because what people need to understand is nobody wants the HVAC data. What people want is an entry point into your building, into the enterprise. And they're using these kind of uh, OT systems to get into the building and then move on to other more enterprise networks, point of sale networks, et cetera. So mm. never, never doubt the, you know, it's the, it's the key to the kingdom, right? I mean, you are that powerful. So, 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 so never downplay as to why somebody will want to hack my HVAC or my lighting, et cetera. That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, uh, we'll deal with it when it comes. You know, think about the inch, the what people don't understand when it comes to, 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 to security. Everybody will say uh, they want the cheapest form of security. How can I get it really cheapest while they're pr- protecting their most expensive asset? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you're protecting your enterprise building where 5,000 employees are working and producing all kinds of productivity, which is worth millions of dollars, and you want to protect it with something for $100. That makes no sense either. So look, you know, one has to look at this. What is the liability involved if I get hacked? What is the, you know, if you think about the target breach, et cetera, that happened uh, in, uh, in 15, you know, I mean, what was the, what, what, what was the PR, uh, what was the PR damage? What was all the other stuff? Right. So, so just, last, to re- just to recap on that one, right? So it was, they, they came through the building automation system and then, but they got to the point of sale data and they were able to steal information about targets customers. That's right. Correct. And yeah. this was a case where, uh, a, you know, there was a, a very genuine HVAC technician by mistake clicked onto a phishing email that's all and that phishing email started proliferating and from there and the hvac network was not isolated from the it network mm-hmm. they were all using the same backhaul and the people were able to hop on this is my big thing about you know isolation but that's again a technical thing i'm talking more philosophical right on top don't ever question that will we be hacked you know i i, I now that's another big line i tell you you are going to be hacked if it's available, there's some kid around the block is trying to hack it. You mm. want to try it, just put a, open up a server on AWS and just put it there and just watch. Within two hours, 55,000 people are going to try and hack into that box for some reason, just because it's available. Whether it's a state-sponsored terrorism attack, whether it's a kid who just wants to prove he or she can do something, whether it's a hacker trying to hack onto other subsystems. Mm. So... This thing that will we be hacked, don't ever live in that world. We are all going to be hacked. If it's connected, people are going to try and hack. So make sure there's all kinds of provisioning methodologies to mitigate the effects of that hack. Right. Uh, the layered thing I, I really want to come back to later, we'll definitely come back to that because I think that's that's super important about some of this architecture, especially that you've put in in your system. 
Um, but it kind of this ties into what I what you were saying, uh, what I asked about best practice. It's a question we had. I had emailed to me earlier. What can you say or show to the IT department that it, let's say you're a f- facilities manager or someone responsible for building automation? What can you show them that's going to make them feel comfortable about putting connected devices such as lighting or whatever on their network? The first thing is they will immediately moment you tell them you don't have to make a single change to your enterprise IT firewall or proxy setting, they rest at ease because always in traditional world they have been used to people saying if i need to tunnel out i need to create a data diode i need to open up a firewall i need to change a port setting i need to create a tunnel which they get paranoid the first thing is keep everything as is intact and i'll still be able to use the same infrastructure to be able to transport the ot traffic and the first thing they're going to tell you i don't believe it it's not possible <laughs> that's the first that's that that's the first reaction and we get it all the time um, and then we have to say okay here is the methodology that we use to do to make this possible we're a bunch of guys out of you know Cisco Juniper Qualcomm Wind River SafeNet we understand routing security uh, networking switching really well and we've created we've figured a way out where using standard outbound ports we can create bidirectional tunnels so that puts them at you now that the next thing they will say is, okay, do you have a pen testing report or a third party audit which shows that, which, which proves that you are doing what you are doing? In which case, which we do, and we present that to them. And then they read that and they're very happy with that. Then they will ask a few more technical questions for which we have white papers to really, this is magic. How do you do this? And we explain how the magic works. Lastly, they will say, okay, now you're going to put this gateway into my network. So I want to make sure that that gateway is, is kosher, in which case we have the required documentation from the Dells and the HPs of the world that say it's kosher. And, 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 right. But, Cause, cause but as, as you said, so just as, as you said in the presentation, uh, it's digitally signed, right? The yes comes from yes yeah yes and 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 the but the point of that uh, entire discussion is the conversation doesn't start with it the conversation starts with ot and you just need a final blessing with it at the end instead of making it a hundred day it policy uh, issue it becomes a one-hour discussion with the it team Mm. at the end okay that that's the difference yeah absolutely and uh just to let everyone know out there, we'll be putting um, these slides uh, up on uh, on the website, so you you'll be able to see um, see this and maybe even show them to the IT department, and <laughs> then they'll get a better understanding. Uh, a question here from the floor: um, Cyber threats evolve so quickly. Is it possible to future-proof building security against a range of potential future future hacking developments? what you can future proof against is the ability to patch those hacks so what does that mean that's the virtualization of the edge and here and i'm going to give you an example i'm going to give you the murai example Seven hundred thousand cameras got hacked on the streets because some because a camera vendor had kept something open the vulnerability was discovered the hackers got into it and they went and created a ddos attack and brought the security analysts website down on akamai yeah. So now this has been this has been hacked, right? Now once this is hacked, the camera vendor maybe within the next four hours has a patch ready. It's like here's the patch. I know how to fix this. Now how do you deploy that patch to seven hundred thousand cameras across four hundred cities? That's the problem statement. Yeah. Finding the patch is easy. 
Well, the, the, uh, the, I, I'm not saying that you can, there are two ways to prevent against, and I'll come to that too. So now, first, uh, we are talking about the fact that we didn't prevent against. So the hack has taken place. We want to patch it. Now you need an orchestration layer in the cloud, which has an app store available with these patches available, or you can just put a new patch in there and say, push this out to my 700,000 cameras and patch it instantly. So with one click, you push it unpatched. That's one. Now, let's talk about the same scenario if the inode was in place. If the inode was in place, since the inode only talks to its mirror image on the other side, the DDoS attack would never have been possible because they would be trying. The hacker wanted to reroute traffic to Akamai, and that 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 reroute would not have been possible because the the inode would have said at the edge, "I have a policy that says the camera data can only go to the camera vendor's cloud. It cannot go to anywhere else, and I'm looking for my mirror image to go over there, and you don't have it over there, so I'm not going to take it anyway." So with the inode bookended solution in the picture, the DDoS attack would never have, have taken place. Now let's go the, to the prevention side. Would this have been detected? Imagine if you were running a deep packet inspection engine and a pattern recognition engine on that inode within your own container, where moment you detected an anomaly, an, an anomaly you said, hey, this is, this is not our data. This doesn't look like our pattern. Start dumping it right at the edge. Don't even forward it. We have a problem. Go look at it. So that's the way you prevent. So you prevent by running DPI algorithms, pattern recognition algorithms, et cetera, that continuously monitor the stream to make sure that it's in line with what you expect. And then you have the bookended solution to guarantee that nobody can reroute. And then worst case, if it is hacked and you need to patch, you have an orchestration layer to push a patch down at scale. Right, and that's, that, as you said, that's at the moment a huge problem. Because yes. we can't we can't patch these uh, these connected devices quick enough, uh, yeah. and I'm I'm assuming there must then still be a lot of uh, devices that are still infected with that Mirai malware, right? Because I imagine, yeah, I imagine absolutely, right. Uh, that um, just, we just put up a slide here that we uh, excuse me produced as part of some of the research we've done recently and again this is about what you kind of alluded to about this layered approach to cybersecurity. Um, and we've tried to sort of conceptualize that a little bit but but basically essentially as well what what you're saying is we need to keep these systems separate but that doesn't mean that we can't share the data or at least use the data efficiently to you know optimize the building and what we want to do which is the whole reason why we want the IoT right in in buildings is to is to really create the feedback loop that we need to build better buildings, but we need to but we need to keep them separately so there can be no sort of tunneling in to the enterprise system through the building automation system. That's correct. We need to isolate through software. Yes. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and and how that's done. And you, I know, I know you mentioned it earlier, but it'd be be good to go. Yeah, through. we yeah we achieve that through containerization, right? That's the beautiful. When a container talks to a container, and that's the only policy it's allowed to do, and that's because of all our networking, routing, switching expertise that we can do that. Building networks within networks, building micro tunnels within tunnels. So that's the that's the way you implement that. There's a bunch of technology that goes in over there, but at a very high level, it's basically a container has a certificate and policy um, uh, based mechanism to talk to only another container, and it can never talk to and data cannot be rerouted anywhere between uh, from one container to another container without the right authorizations in place through the orchestration layer. 
So mm-hmm. nobody can sit at, you know, nobody can go to an edge gateway and put a keyboard onto it and hack it. And it's not going to be possible. They're, they're not going to be able to do anything of that sort. What they'll have to do is to be able to compromise this thing is go through the orchestration layer, hack the orchestrator, and then from there be able to change policies and then be able to do that. And there's various layers of security even in the orchestration layer, which, uh, which uh, they would have to go through. That does not mean that the orchestration layer cannot be hacked. Everything in the world can be hacked. It just depends. Are you going to take three days to hack it? Are you going to take 300 years to hack it? When you look at the architecture we present and our systems, typically it will take somebody about 300 years to hack us. Yeah, and um, they're always going to choose the path of least resistance, right? If they can hack somebody else uh, and it's not going to take them three years, then then they'll, they'll do that. That's right. Yeah. Now, um, we mentioned some of the DDoS attacks, and then what we saw last month, right, was some of the, these ransomware attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know they specifically went after a uh, Windows, right, Windows operating system. Right, right, right. right. Uh, which, of course, this doesn't apply to to everything that that's so or, or, or every IT device. It's mainly sort of different systems and probably mostly enterprise stuff. Um, but wh- where where are we sort of going with this? You know, it seems is is it just that we're getting these kind of things are becoming bigger. Um, I mean, it just seems my sense is that uh, is, are things are going to get worse before they get better. Well, the, the the this is the new reality, right? Right. You, we, uh, this is you know the connected world. This is the issue with the connected world. That doesn't mean don't connect the world. It means mm. now think about all the the, the issues that we're going to face and build the required barriers around it. You know, it's like airport security. I mean, how has airport security evolved since the time we were started? By I remember when my father was traveling, he didn't have to go through TSA the way we go through it. Right. But it evolved. It evolved because the amount of attacks evolved and the way attacks are done evolved. So the entire methodology of securing the airplane has evolved. In a similar manner, when it comes to connected devices, it's nothing but a a, um, a paradigm shift where people are now beginning to understand that it's not just your laptop that can be hacked. It can be uh, your uh, your HVAC system, your your lighting system, or your elevator control system. And the damage, if you hack into an elevator control system in a 100-story skyscraper, is significant. There, people are trapped. So now you have to look at ways of mitigating those, preventing as much, detecting patterns, right? Everything that we do to, to be able to prevent any other attack, what are the preventive mechanisms that are done? And then uh, and, and then share that intelligence within the community that this is what you do. Yeah. You mentioned um, pattern recognition there. That's, that's interesting. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that concept. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the the beauty about industrial automation uh, IoT is the fact that it is very predictive. You can predict that at 11 o'clock in the morning, my bitstream should look like this. One zero 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 one 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 zero whatever. It's very very predictable based on the temperature outside. This is what that bitstream should look like. Whatever it's it's not like a human suddenly deciding I'm going to w- jump onto another website where you're running. Like, oh, why is this going to another website? No, a machine doesn't do that. A machine is very predictable. It and it gives you a certain pattern and it com- consistently goes on that pattern. So the moment there is a hack, that pattern starts changing. And and if you are running a deep packet inspection engine or a pattern recognition engine at the edge, you can detect those patterns immediately to say, is that a genuine pattern or is that a, uh, or is that a hack? 
and that helps you with the preventive mechanism to take corrective action rapidly versus having to wait for the hack to actually proliferate or the hack to actually take place. The moment you see an odd pattern, you can start redirecting packets. Say, I want these, but this doesn't make sense to me. This is not supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. Let me take a quick look at it and, uh, and run some analysis. Same thing with machine learning. Right now, machines are getting intelligent enough to learn their own patterns, that this is the way it's supposed to work. And if there's an anomaly, alert the right people, et cetera. So that's what we mean by pattern recognition and deep packet inspection engines. Yeah, we, and we talked about some of the, uh, so I just want to say any more questions for Ron, please, um, please type them in. Um, we can put them uh, to him. We've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, something for me, I just interested in your take on what some of the sort of critical issues that building owners you think don't understand at the moment or need to show a better understanding of, um, um, you know, kind of like what what have you come up against in when you've been trying to sort of present these ideas to to people that are, operate buildings? Um, we have typically worked closely with the system integration uh, community, the, the system integrators who go out and implement the building automation systems for property owners. Right. And the property owner is very well aware of the security threats, etc. The system integration community wants to, is also quite aware. Now they're becoming more and more. They understand uh, the 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 uh, issues related to that. They have a deployment complexity problem, which is you know how do I do this at scale? How many IT guys will I need? How many truck rolls will I have to do? All of that. Mm -hmm. That <clears throat> the the message to them has always been, if you make security deployable very easily, everybody will be will do it. The more complicated you make it, the harder it's going to be to deploy. That's why we exist. We simplified the deployment complexity of security at scale and the ability to do all these applications at the edge. And um, and again, the message is the same. Don't, uh, you know, don't assume people want to hack into your HVAC system or lighting system. They're using those at entry points. Don't ever say that, will we be hacked? You are going to be hacked, so don't another thing. And number three, take all kinds of precautions. Don't, if you are protecting a million dollar, I mean, a, a hundred million dollar building, which has all kinds of productive people doing all kinds of productivity things in there with a, L cheap or $200 device, well, you're going to get what you pay for. So, uh, you know, think security is not something that you think of as an add on, hey, I, it's a check mark. I need to just put a tick mark and do it. Because then the liabilities that you will face later when it does get hacked will, will, be, will be ridiculous. You're better off taking preventive mechanisms right up front with the right kind of hardware, the right kind of software, the right kind of people who know what they're talking about to be able to implement this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And you also mentioned that you've been working with um, systems integrators. Do you, and my sense, and we wrote about this in our report, is uh, skill shortage. Uh, and, obviously, and that's not, that's something that doesn't just apply to smart buildings, of course, right? But there is going to be a shortage of, you know, top quality um, cybersecurity people. How and that's why... That's exactly why we exist. We are completely agree. And the thing is, why should I, why should an elevator manufacturer need to learn about cybersecurity? I mean, do they need to all build a mini Cisco in-house? Does Otis and Schindler and ThyssenKrupp need to do all that? Why does Train and Allerton, who are, who are experts in HVAC, have to build an entire team around security in-house? So we believe that 
Yes, there is a shorter exit, but at the same time, there is no reason for everybody to keep building this team in-house. That's why they can all leverage IO teams, manage network infrastructure as a service, because that's our bread and butter. We understand security, we understand routing, we understand networking, and all these companies, including the OEMs as well as the SIs, have a one-stop shop. Just call us and they'll get complete secure connectivity without having to worry about that. And we keep adding to that secure expertise that's more and more intellectual property, more and more threat detection, more and more pattern recognition by partnering with other experts. We partner with DPI experts, we partner with machine learning experts, with artificial intelligence experts, because that's the reason to have that orchestration layer in the cloud, where the experts can push applications at the edge and, and it's available for mass deployment at scale. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's about partnering with the right people, isn't it? Absolutely. We can't Absolutely. expect to have all the skills all the time it's it's about you know choosing the right partners and, and as you said you know often it's uh, often said but you kind of pay for what you get in this world most of the time yeah one thing i know you mentioned earlier about roughly sort of like type of attacks and 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 who who is doing this um, and why, but do, is there, you know, is, is there a general kind of mindset for some hackers and, and uh, who are we dealing with here? Um, it seems to be a mix of some people acting on their own, some state actors, some um, criminal organizations. Is, is there any value in even understanding it? Like, is it something that we should be aware of? Absolutely. And I, I, I can tell you from past, you know, a lot of people do this just for fun, just because they can do it. The, uh, a lot of kids are out there who want to prove that they're the next big hacker and do it just just for kicks. There's not the, uh, They want to prove that they were able to get into a building. So that's number one. Secondly, of course, there are people who want to do it for money. Organized crime does look at this for money, absolutely, where they want to be able to hack into buildings and, and, and ask for ransoms. So that's and then third, of course, state-sponsored terrorism, which is also very, very, very uh, uh, likely possible and and happening uh, as we speak. So all three uh, uh, reasons are are very much there. Mm, okay. What, what do you think? I mean, it, it seems to me like we 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 have uh, you know what you talked about earlier. Um, we we the. This doesn't shouldn't stop us from connecting things. Like the the benefits are clear that this is something we can do, and there are ways that we we can we can make this secure. Um, but of course, it's an ongoing process, right? Absolutely, it's an ongoing process. You'll keep learning. You keep, but the more you do preventive actions the better and safer you are what can i do to prevent this from happening what 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 in dpi engines can i run what pattern recognition engines can i run am i making sure that i've isolated everything as much so that i can limit the attacks you know we we, we all know that uh, uh, a terror attack is possible but at the same time all our agencies all around the world are taking as many precautions as they possibly can they're beginning to talk more to each other share more intelligence etc in a similar manner the cyber is no different you know it's just yeah it's it's beginning to proliferate more and more and we all have to share the intelligence we're learning mm. and and from from looking at some of the work we've done i mean it was it was very encouraging to see how much money's being put into cybersecurity now there seems to be a, a big concerted effort in in companies really now coming to market with 
with innovative products for this, you know, like like you are. And I know um, you, you guys got some Series A funding recently, right? That's right. We raised eight and a half, eight point four million dollars from GE Ventures, Juniper Ventures, and March Capital mm. earlier. And what's that going to mean for for you guys? I mean, in terms of of growth, like how is that going to fuel the business going forward? It's uh, sales and marketing, more evangelism, as well as operation support. As we scale out, we need to be able to have seven by twenty four support available. You know, one eight hundred IOTM uh, for uh, all of that. So uh, mainly that, and then of course a portion of it to be able to keep adding to the intellectual property here for more and more preventive maintenance or preventing cyber attacks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, last question for me. I mean, if there was one thing that you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to talk now directly to people who are manufacturing hardware, who are, you know, operating buildings, facilities managers, what would you say to them finally? Basically, you know, do not be afraid to connect your asset or your building or your legacy subsystem. You have an option in us. Pick up the phone, call us. We can prove to you in every form, one way. You know, you know, we have customers that are Fortune 100s of the world. We've gone through the rigmarole on all the IT security issues that people have asked for us for. We've got third-party pen testing reports, et cetera. Come and you. There is no reason to be scared to connect your legacy brownfield asset, whether it's a machine, whether it's a building, whatever it may be. You can connect it and you can connect it securely. You just need to use you know, the right technology. And I believe very firmly that we are the right infrastructure as a service to be able to connect all of that mm -hmm. uh, uh, for them. Uh, and, and take the advantages of all the predictive maintenance and energy efficiency that we can. Yeah. Uh, if they want more information, where can they find it? IOTM.io or just send an email to info at IOTM.io. Okay. IOTIUM.io. Great. And I'm going to put these, uh, these slides up. So um, the show notes are going to go up on our website, memory.com. And also, we've recorded it. It's going to go, uh, it's, the audio is going to go up on SoundCloud. And as I said earlier, we're now on iTunes. So you can listen to us from your podcast software. And yeah, that's really it. Obviously, just to want to say again, thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. Definitely worth checking out what those guys are doing. Some really, really interesting open source project. Uh, they are at uh, project-haystack.org and obviously just want to say a big thank you to Ron as well really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us today thank you James appreciate the opportunity good thank you uh, all thanks for listening yeah and we'll be back uh, next month uh, with a, a, another smart building podcast and also uh, if you guys get the time check out the report that we've done recently on cybersecurity in smart commercial buildings that is also on our website. You'll find it on the homepage. Thanks again. Have a great week. Bye. Bye-bye.